You are listening to Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. A place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. My name is Kent, and I could um, feel the energy in the room. I don't know if you people at home could feel the energy around that first song. Um, Do we think we live in a time when our world needs healing? There needs to be a lot of healing, doesn't it? Well, here's what I want to focus on for the next few weeks. Our world does need healing, and God is going to bring healing to our world by using us. Each one of us has a unique role that we play in bringing that about, and uh, we're going to try to discover what that's like. And we're going to do that by looking at some great examples in Scripture of how God used people to bring about good. We think we're actually wired for good, and so we can accomplish the good that God desires. So for the passage this morning, I want to invite you to turn to 1 Samuel 16. So we're in the Old Testament. It's the kind of history section of the Old Testament. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. 1 Samuel 16. Before we read this together, I want you to know that I'm praying for you, and here's the prayer I offer. The Lord be with you. 1 Samuel 16, starting with verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands before. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things of people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? Jesse answered, They're still the youngest. He's tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him, had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David." This is God's Word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. When I was a young guy, a much younger guy, I was obsessed with trying to figure out what is God's will for my life. 
I wanted to understand in detail exactly what it was that God wanted me to do. Was I attending the right school? Had I selected the right major? Was I signed up for the right classes? Did I pick the correct professors? I felt like God was going to reveal to me the exact details of everything I should do with my life. I did find it interesting, however, that God never directed me to take an 8 o'clock a.m. class. So that was one of those weird deals. But I thought that God and God's will included every last small detail of my life. And the more I work to try to discern this, the, the nuttier I got. It just becomes very challenging. Now, I'm still interested in getting things right and understanding God's will, but I no longer obsess over the details. I'm more focused on kind of a big picture approach. And that big picture approach tries to answer these questions. Am I the right person in the right place at the right time with the right motivation? These big picture questions give me guidance that kind of keeps me on track. You know, about the same time I was obsessing about these details, I was also learning to drive. And I remember the very first time I ever drove a car on a public street. I'm driving, my dad is giving me instructions, and as I'm driving, I am focused on trying to line up the right front fender with the edge of the road. And I'm doing lots of jerking around trying to keep that... that car perfectly aligned to that edge, focus in on that detail. And my dad goes, what are you doing? He says to me, what you're supposed to do when you keep the car in the center of the road is you're not supposed to obsess with that detail. You're supposed to look down the road. Keep the big picture in mind. Keep yourself aimed down the middle of this road by looking way out there. That's how you keep the car centered in the road. It seems to me that finding God's will is similar to that that we are aiming at a really big thing and to keep on track, we're going to keep our eyes focused on this big picture and not obsess too much with the details. I think by doing this, we're going to demystify the idea of God's will. We're going to understand God's calling. And my hope is by the end of this month, every one of us will be able to answer this question or be able to complete this sentence. I am called to blank. And you will all be able to fill in that sentence. You will all be able to fill in that sentence. I'll be able to fill in that sentence. I am called to blank. We'll figure out what that calling is, and we'll be free to move into this call, and the outcome will be a world that is restored more and more. We are wired to accomplish good, and I hope that we can figure out to do that. Now, to keep us kind of down the center of the road, three big ideas that help us with this discovery. The first key is this. God calls us. Now, this might be obvious, but the definition of calling is, by nature, something that comes from outside of us. We do not call ourselves. God calls us, and God gives every follower of Jesus a specific calling. Now, I I recognize that as a young guy, when I was obsessing over the details and trying to grab a hold of this calling, the fruit of it was actually to create a lot of anxiety and fear. I was afraid that if I did not get it exactly right, that I was going to lose it, that I would lose my calling, I would waste my life, I would get off track, and there was no way to rescue me after that. And I was worried that because I wasn't decisive enough or clear-eyed enough or wise enough or following God close enough that I would miss God's call. I don't think that's how it works. 
Listen to this verse, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work so no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He has prepared in advance for us to do. As followers of Jesus, we are wired to do good. And God has prepared us to accomplish these good works way in advance. God has set them before us, and He's called us to do this for the sake of loving Him and for the sake of loving our neighbors. We are called to do this in a way that glorifies God and serves the people around us. This calling is out there for us, ready and waiting. And I think David's a great example of this. The story of David starts with David completely minding his own business out in the field watching over the sheep. And Samuel comes to town and he's going to anoint the next king. It's like they forgot David. Jesse lines up the other sons, they're all there, and he goes by one by one by one after another, and it's like, oh wait, is this all your sons? Oh wait, no, there is one more son, because he's out there, I better go get him. It's almost like David was forgotten. But the call found him. They fetch David, they bring him, they set him before Samuel, and the message is clear. This is the one God has chosen. He is the one that is supposed to be anointed. God had a call for David, and that call found David. This image of God's call for all of us is freeing, I think. Um, Yeah, we should pay attention, but you know what? God has got a call for each one of us, and He's going to help us understand that call. That's the first key to keeping your eye down the road. The second key is this, discovering that God shapes us for this call that we are prepared, that we are made, that we are wired for this particular call. So they're in the middle of a national crisis. King Saul has made some major mistakes. He's disobeyed God. He's turned his back on what was right. He's failed. And so God says, we're going to replace him. We're going to set up a new king. Samuel goes to anoint. Samuel's a little bit afraid of this instruction because he recognizes this is like a conspiracy, like the existing king is being undermined if Saul, if Samuel anoints another king. But God reassures him that this is the call that's placed on Samuel, so he goes and he meets with Jesse and his sons. And the first of Jesse's sons comes before Samuel and he's convinced, he's found him already. Look at this guy, he's great. He's tall and handsome and he must be the one. Surely the Lord's anointed is standing here. But it's not the one. Uh, he uh, is like the golden egg standing before him. He thinks that mu- there must be something good in that package. The same thing happens after each son. They all look good. They all look like they're highly qualified, seven tall, handsome, charismatic young men. Each one of them could be right, but none of them are called to be the next king. Here's a key to how God prepares us or shapes us to, for our calling. The Lord said to Samuel, verse 7, Do not consider their appearance or their height, for I have rejected them. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. 
People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God's looking for something completely different. And this passage raises a lot of questions for me. A couple key ones are this. How often, I wonder, do we select candidates that are less likely or the least likely to be leaders? How often do we overlook somebody because they don't appear to be the right person? I wonder about that. I also wonder how often we are tempted to think that we are not the right candidate because we are less likely. We think we are not good enough. We don't measure up. We don't have the skill. And so we pass, we disqualify ourselves. While David was out watching the sheep, defending the sheep, watching over the flock, God was shaping him. God was preparing him to care for a different flock, to care for this entire nation. God was preparing his skills. God was preparing his heart, getting him ready to serve. God shapes the people that he calls. He shapes us so that we fit exactly with the call that we have. When David comes before Samuel, it's obvious that the least of Jesse's sons is the one who's been prepared to be king. God has shaped him exactly for this. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And here's the last piece of shaping that's key for us in our calling, that as God shapes us, then he pours out his Spirit upon us. He empowers us. He enables us to be able to complete the call that he's given us so that we become the right person at the right time, in the right place, and for the right reason. God gets us there. And then the third key to discovering this call is to know that God sends us. God has prepared something special for us to do. We are gifted and called so that we can get into the game. This is uh, not to sit on the bench. It's to get in there. Now, I think many of us would be more eager and more enthusiastic about getting into the game if we knew that it was going to be safe, if it was easy. You know, if we had a calling and we thought, yeah, well, that's doable. We can do that, and there's not going to be any big problem, no harm, no, no foul. But what if the calling is difficult? What if the calling is dangerous, risky? What if the calling is trouble, uh, troubled calling? Then are we as likely to get involved into it? Because as I'm reading the story about Samuel and King David, I see that this is a difficult call. This is a challenging, troubling call. They're called to hardship and sacrifice. Remember how Jesus talked about this call? This is from Luke 9, 23. Jesus said to everyone, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Does that sound safe or risky? Samuel's call had a cost. If he's going to anoint the next king while this previous king is still on the prowl, then his life is at risk. David's call had cost. He's going to be called to leave his family, to leave what he knows of the, the sheep in the field, and go take care of a nation, a nation that's often at war, a nation that's often tore apart in conflict. If God calls us and sends us out to a call that involves 
denying ourselves and taking up our cross, that's going to be a call that has costs. So I think truth in advertising, we need to know that. Is there anything that would help us then enter into this call to go wherever God sends us, no matter what the cost? And I've got a couple of things that have helped me, and they have to do with understanding the outcome of of this call or the, the potential of this call. And one of the guys who's helped me understand this is a guy named Andy Crouch, and he's written a lot about calling, and he's written about a couple of different components of our call. And the first component he talks about is what he calls a shared call. This is a call that falls on all of us as Christians. Every one of us has the same call, and it's the call to reflect and restore the image of God. That part of what we do as we live out our lives as Christians is we are created in God's image, and we are called to go out and shine that image into a world that needs to see it. And where the image of God is broken and distorted or missing, we are called to restore the image of God so that people can see it in the world. This is a calling that involves us in every aspect of our life so that we can live our lives showing God's image when we are exercising creativity and generosity, showing God's image when we create good things, when we address problems in our community, we restore God's image when we fix what is broken, when we reach out to the hurting, when we repair the damage, when we reconcile relationships, when we bring healing, when we offer hope, when we stand for justice, when we stand for those who are uh, experiencing injustice, when we shine light into the darkness. These are all ways to like restore God's image. And this is something every one of us is called to. And then this, in fact, is such a huge call that we recognize that we do this together. We do this often collectively as a community. We say, we're going to go out into the world and make it a better world. And we're going to work at that together. We actively seek out places where God's image has been lost and distorted, and we risk on behalf of those who can't risk for themselves, those who've been victimized and abused, those who suffer pain, those who are grieving, those who suffer loss. We're called to sacrifice for them to make the world a better place. We do this all together. We are wired to do this. This is a shared calling that we all have together. That's one aspect. The second calling that he talks about is a distinctive calling or unique or particular calling. This is the calling I usually think of when I think about calling. I think that we are each wired with unique gifts. We have unique personalities and unique passions, and each of these unique parts of our who we are are used by God in specific particular situations. So we're all involved in different situations. We are involved in our families. We're involved in our neighborhoods. We're involved in our workplaces. We're involved in our schools. We are each in places where nobody else is, and we are called to use our particular gifts in those particular places. This is how we bring about restoration in everyday life. In each of the particular places we go, we make things better, and we use all the things that God has given us, all the blessings we have to accomplish that. Our gifts, our passions, our ideas, our energies, our skills. Maybe we have possessions we use. Maybe it's money, resources, our home, our material goods. We use these to bring about good. Maybe it's uh, credentials or a college degree or training or a skill or a position in an organization. These are all resources that we are called to use in all the places where we go to be a blessing. God has blessed us so we can be a blessing 
Each of us are, are going to do that in unique ways, in particular ways. Over the course of the next m- month, I'm hoping that we can discover our general calling, the calling that we share together to shine God's image and restore God's image, but that we will also discover more about how each of us are uniquely wired and sent into particular places to transform the world. This is our calling. David was good with a slingshot. That was one of his particular skills. He could use the slingshot to kill the beasts that came after the sheep. So when God's people were under attack by the Philistines and this big giant of a man named Goliath came to torment the troops, David happened to see this and he thought immediately, well, I got a skill that can address that. I have a calling, a particular unique calling, which apparently no one else in the entire army had that calling. So he went out there with his slingshot and his stone and he took care of the giant. He protected the people. He defended the nation. This was his unique calling. Each of us have a unique calling in the same way in the places where we go from day to day. If God can use David like that, then I wonder what God can do with us. And that's what I want to discover. So yesterday I was supposed to officiate a wedding, and it was in southern Iowa, And here are some of the things that happened to me on the way to this wedding. First of all, there was a sinkhole in the highway, so the highway was closed, and there was a detour, but it was unmarked where the detour went. There was a nice lady on my GPS who kept sending me in circles, so this was followed by miles of driving on gravel roads, and not one, but two minimum maintenance roads, level B and C maintenance roads. There was a parked train, and then there was another train blocking the highway. I think it actually might have been the same train blocking a different road. And then there was a phone battery that went dead. And all of this while the gas gauge is going way down. Of course, there was beautiful scenery. At one point, Mary said to me, if that train does not move, you are going to run to the wedding. Thankfully, right about that moment, the train started to move. So I did arrive at the wedding, not at the right time, but I was the right person because they couldn't do the wedding without me. (laughs) And I was in the right place. It was a beautiful place. We got there because I had a really good co-pilot who remained calm and calmly talked me through all these twists and turns. And we had a general idea of where we were going. I knew that I had to keep going west and south. So I kept taking roads that were either west or south, and I knew eventually I would get to a place I recognized and we could find our way there. It would have been really nice in the middle of this journey if I had specific details about all the roads I was on. But I didn't have that. I had a general sense that I was the right person at the right time, headed in generally the right direction to get to where I needed to go. I think this is the same attitude we have about calling. I think as we're trying to discover our calling, we often would love to have a lot more specific detail than we actually get. But if we have a general sense that God has called us 
And God has shaped us for that calling. And that God himself is sending us to live that calling out. Then I'm pretty sure if we just keep our eye down the road, we're going to get there. So in the next couple of weeks, what I offer is this. I will volunteer to be your co-pilot on this journey. And we'll take some twists and turns. But in the end, what I think will happen is this. We will all discover that we are wired for good. And that will change everything. Dear Lord God, I pray that you'll guide us on this journey. And I thank you that you already are, that you are a God who walks with us and shows us the way that no matter what happens along our journey, you've promised to never leave us or forsake us. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us and shape us and mold us and prepare us for all that you have. And we'll be careful to give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We pray you were blessed by today's message. If you'd like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, please visit our website, www.cedarhillscr.org.